a U.S. Navy destroyer, was responding to a distress call in the Gulf of Aden when ballistic missiles from Yemen were launched in its direction. How did the U.S. respond? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. This is a proposal that's designed to ensure that VA addresses a problem that the Inspector General has raised with us several times. And Veterans Affairs officials announced delays in a long-awaited ambulance reimbursement policy. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is November 28th, 2023. First up, missiles from Yemen were launched in the direction of the U.S. Navy destroyer Mason. It happened while the Mason was conducting a counter-piracy mission in the Gulf of Aden near the coast of Africa and Yemen. Navy Times reporter Diana Stancy sits down with us to talk about the incident. So, Diana, thanks for joining us. Could you first take us through what happened on Sunday with the Mason? So, um, Navy destroyer Mason, as well as some other uh, allied forces from U.S. Central Command's counter-piracy task force, responded to a distress call on Sunday um, in response to the commercial vessel Central Park, which has ties to Israel. So, what U.S. officials have said is that five armed individuals attempted to take control of the commercial vessel while the crew locked themselves into a safe space. When the Mason came onto the scene, however, the armed individuals attempted to flee the scene aboard a small boat. However, a team from the Mason detained them, and those individuals who are from uh, Somalia, they are now uh, being detained on the USS Mason themselves. So the Mason is part of the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group, which deployed to the Middle East in October amid heightened tensions in the region and is currently conducting these freedom of navigation patrols and missions to promote stability in the region. So as um, the Mason and other allied assets wrapped up helping the Central Park, U.S. Central Command said that uh, the ships encountered two ballistic missiles, which were fired from Houthi-controlled areas in Yemen, towards the general location of the U.S. destroyer. So um, according to officials, those missiles landed approximately 10 nautical miles from the ships. However, neither ship reported injuries or damage to the vessels. Wonderful. And if you could provide listeners with some context about the situation in Yemen, a large number of the missile and drone attacks targeting U.S. naval assets in that region have originated from that country. So what's going on? Yes. So put into context, this is just the latest incident where destroyers in the Middle East have countered drones and missiles that U.S. officials say were fired by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. So as we've seen over the past month, just this month, we've had two instances where the destroyer Thomas Hudner shot down air drones that officials say were fired from Yemen, and the destroyer shot those down in an act of self-defense. So that that just happened this month. There was also another incident in October where the USS Kearney also shot down some uh, drones in an act of self-defense that U.S. officials claimed came from Yemen. These incidents also kind of coincide with um, attacks that U.S. forces are uh, experiencing in Iraq and Syria, and they coincide with, um, you know, the start of the Israel-Hamas war. 
In other news, the Department of Veterans Affairs announced it will put a pause on implementing a policy to reimburse ambulances that transport veterans. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough explained the goal of the desired policy at an event at the National Press Club a few weeks ago. What we have said is if you do not have a contract with VA to provide the service you provide, we will have no choice but to contract with you at Medicare reimbursement rates. That's what the, that's what the proposal says. This is a proposal that's designed to ensure that VA addresses a problem that the Inspector General has raised with us several times, including in a very hard-hitting report, which I just reread last week in 2018. For more on this, Military Times, Capitol Hill Bureau Chief, Leo Shane III, joins the episode. So, Leo, to the average person, you know, maybe, ambulance reimbursement rates for the VA doesn't sound like something to get all worked up about. But why is this such a big deal? Yeah, look, this is something that has been bubbling for quite a few months now, and industry folks, folks in the emergency services industry, have been pretty upset about it um, because VA is talking about the the way they do business and how they reimburse these companies when they take someone to, to a hospital when there's an emergency situation. And the worry is that if they're changing these rates, if they're if they're making it so it's less expensive or so that they have a, a you know a better a better deal with some of these companies, that could force some companies out in rural areas that use things like like air ambulances or special ambulance services, places where there's not a lot of options. So you end up with veterans who, in case of an emergency, can't call someone because their local ambulance company has gone out of business. Um, VA says they're not trying to do that. They are trying to make this just a a more predictable and responsible thing. The uh, inspector general a few years back had a report saying that the way VA deals with paying ambulances is basically just to hand them cash whenever they show up and uh, and you know not enter into contracts ahead of time. So they're trying to, to formalize the business. But but it's an interesting problem that a lot of uh, lawmakers in rural areas have have really been worried about because, you know, the access to all sorts of services are tougher in those areas. So this is just one where they point to and they say, all right, look, if you do this wrong, if you do this too quickly, it's going to hurt a lot of veterans, it's going to hurt a lot of businesses, and ultimately it could even hurt the entire community if an ambulance business goes, goes under. And so what is the significance in pushing this policy back to 2025? Yes, these new rates are supposed to go into effect next February, in February 2024. They're now saying they're going to push it back to February 2025. Not a lot of significance in that one-year delay other than it's going to give them time to talk about this. But it is worth noting that VA has pushed a lot of things back into 2025 now. There's uh, new caregiver rules that are supposed to go into effect that year, Um, the electronic health record problem that's been going on with VA. Um, They're trying to put in a new system. A lot of the deadlines for that have been pushed back into 2025. So, you know, we're starting to see VA push a lot of major decisions back into that range. And that means next year is going to be do or die time for coming up with some of these policies for negotiating uh, some new problems or for kicking the can even further down the line. So I think I think it's going to make for an interesting summer and fall next year when we start to see some of these checks come to for VA. You know, are they going to be able to find compromises and, and make folks happy? Or are we just seeing, you know, the possibility of, you know, after an election year, a new administration coming in and having a whole host of headaches to deal with? Also on your radar for today, the Pentagon provided updates 
on a lull in attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria since November 23rd. To break it all down, Military Times Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins the episode with those updates. So Megan, what updates did Pentagon officials tell you about attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East over the past few days? So there have not been any attacks on U.S. troops in bases in Iraq and Syria since November 23rd, so I think the Thursday of Thanksgiving. Um, and that's the first period of time where there's we've gone a day without seeing some sort of attack in one of those countries since October 17th, when there was a first couple of barrages of big attacks. The Pentagon doesn't have a lot of explanation for why uh, there have been a series of strikes in Syria on some of these Iran-backed militias. Um, there are storage facilities, so there's maybe some thought that, you know, their weapons have been degraded. You know, the other thing that was going on over the weekend when there were no strikes is that Israel and Hamas were in a ceasefire. And there's some evidence to think that maybe the increase in attacks on U.S. troops is based on U.S. support for Israel um, and that maybe the militias could be falling in line with um, the policies that are playing out there. And now, here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. Japan and Vietnam yesterday agreed to strengthen their security and economic ties in the face of China's growing influence in the region. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will participate in the first foreign minister-level meeting of the NATO-Ukraine Council. The body was created by NATO leaders to help prepare Kyiv for eventual membership. Stars and Stripes is reporting that this month was the first time the U.S. contributed a large number of soldiers— about 700 of them, and firepower to the Lithuanian military's annual exercise, Strong Griffin 2023. And South Korea's military said yesterday that North Korea is restoring frontline guard posts that Pyongyang had dismantled during a previous period of easing tensions. And on this day in history, in 1943, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt joined British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and Soviet leader Joseph Stalin at a conference in Iran. The three discussed strategies for winning World War II and the potential terms for a peace settlement. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore News and at Military Times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Diana Stancy, Leo Shane III, and Megan Myers. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Groose. Have a great day.